Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Randy Franz as he shares this week's message. So I am going to teach you a prayer this morning. It is the most powerful prayer you can ever pray. And if you pray this prayer every hour of every day for the rest of your life and follow it, you will have unlocked the secret to the kingdom of God. Ooh. Except I'll let you in on another little secret. It's not really a secret. This is found clearly in the teaching of the Bible. But you are about to receive something incredibly powerful. So be careful Because if you use it and you follow it, you will go places you never imagined you would go. And you must keep this key in a very safe place. You must keep it front of mind and front of heart. And also have it ready, as I said, at all times. Do you think you can handle this key, this prayer? And I'm going to ask you to memorize it so that when you leave here this morning... You will have it when you walk out those doors and into the light of day, you'll have it ready. (sighs) Great. Memorization. You're probably thinking, I came here this morning to be encouraged, maybe enlightened a little bit, see some friends, maybe serve, sing, and this guy gives me homework. Wonderful. Well, stay with me because I'll make this really easy. Easy, easy, easy. It's so simple that even I could remember it, and that's saying something. Although, to be honest, I wrote it in my notes just in case. So, here it is, the most powerful prayer you can ever pray. One that unlocks the secret to the kingdom of God. When you know it, believe it, and direct it only to Him. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. I trust in you. That's the prayer. I trust in you. I trust in you. Four words. Four words that change everything. Four words that change our focus from ourselves to our Savior. I trust in you. Now, if you commit this to memory and pull it out, and apply it on a constant basis, I guarantee you will be transformed in every way. So, what do we do with this? Well, what if all of your circumstances, all of your circumstances receive this simple prayer? For example, my boss at work is a total jerk. I don't know why God has me working for him or for her. I trust in you. My bills are stacking up. I just can't seem to get ahead. There we go. How do I raise my child or my children in this world, this wicked world with all the forces coming at them that I I just can't control? Bingo. If it's not one thing, it's another. First my car breaks down. Then my job shuts down. And my best friend moves away. What is going on? There we go. How am I supposed to know what to study in school? 
what guy or girl to date, where to go to college, or even whether to go to college. Should I take this career path or that career path? Should I go uh, rent or buy a home? Am I to get married or am I to remain single? All right, you guys are getting it. How about I can't get my family and my friends to become Christians. They won't even listen to me. They won't even let me talk about it. I trust in you. See, you guys have already remembered it. Now, to be truthful, there is more to this prayer. There's a longer version of it, but I didn't want to overburden you with homework today. But if you're up for it, I'll give you the rest of it. I think you can handle it. I think you can memorize it. Do you want it? Do you want the rest of it? You want it? Okay. Here you go. Here's the full prayer from beginning to end. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust in you. This is where the power of the Christian life is. Trusting in God at all times, in all places, and in all circumstances. Because we know it's easy to trust God in the good times. Do we trust him in the tough times? It's easy to trust him on Sunday mornings. It's easy to trust him maybe on Friday nights when we're gathered in our small groups. But do we trust him the other five, six days a week? It's easy to trust him when money is in the bank, when our bills are paid, when we have a secure roof over our heads. Our friends are making things easy on us, et cetera, et cetera. But do we trust him when the bills pile up, when the roof over our heads or when our home is not secure, when our relationships are difficult? Well, this is when the depth of our trust in God becomes clear. So let's dive into how and why we can trust God always. And the first thing is, how do we know God is trustworthy? How do we know he can be trusted? Well, not surprisingly, the Bible has a lot to say about this. The words trust or trusts or trustworthy occur 132 times in Scripture, related specifically to trusting in God. So this isn't an occasional reminder. This is the author of Scripture pounding it into us. Trust me. Don't you get it? This is fundamental. I created everything. I made you from the dust of the earth. I know your thoughts before you think them. And I love you anyway. I knew even before I made you what is best for you. I've done it throughout human history, and I don't change. So don't fixate on your circumstances. Fixate on me and know my promises are true. I have redeemed you from sin. When you trust me, I will be glorified and you will have peace. And then at just the right time, I will bring you to heaven to spend eternity with me because I chose you. Now, in no way, in no way do I minimize the real-life struggles we have. Pastor Rob, myself, Landon, have pointed out many, many times from this pulpit that 
a lot of you face challenges that we wouldn't want any to have. This is simply a matter of uh, a fact of life in, in a fallen world racked by sin. But this is exactly the point. Amid these trials, amid these troubles, tribulations, seemingly insurmountable challenges, God's promises hold true. They never fail. Never. Not once, not twice, not ever. He brings struggles into our lives for many reasons. And often they do test our trust in him. There's no getting around that. They are tests. How will we react? How will we move forward? And I know this, struggles come for everyone, every single person. That's part of the the Christian life. Uh, We are guaranteed to suffer with Christ. But I'll tell you this, I cannot imagine going through this life with all of its struggles that come without Jesus being with us. I, there's no wonder, there's no surprise that there's so much despair in the world for people who don't have Christ. I, if not for him being alive and him being with us, him giving us his perfect promises, life would, life would seem bleak at best and pointless at worst. But all praise to him that he is with us and he's with us in the dark times as, as well as in the light. And even more thankfully, our trust is due to God's faithfulness, not our ability to conjure it up in ourselves. It's God's faithfulness that grants us the ability to trust him. I like how an author, Marshall Siegel, put it. It's up on the board. When he writes, patient people can wait and embrace inconvenience because whatever happens today or tomorrow or next Tuesday Their treasure is unthreatened in heaven, and therefore their joy is secure. Their happiness is not tied to their plans, so when their plans are disrupted, their happiness holds and continues pouring over in love. It speaks of overflowing. So going back to our first question, how do we know God is trustworthy? Because we have his word on it. The word of a doctor is held in high esteem. The the word of a global leader is held in high esteem. But neither compares to the very word of God. And we have it miraculously preserved for us here. Amen. One of the most well-known verses in Scripture addresses this. It is Proverbs 3.5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So trusting with all of the heart doesn't mean superficially or intellectually. This is a deep, all-consuming trust in God's ways. The verse says, acknowledging this truth will make our paths straight. Not that he will remove all the obstacles, because we know that's not true. That would be a misreading of the text. This refers to a moral straightness, progressing toward righteousness, or being straight morally, which is the directive of much of the Proverbs. 
So we know we, God is trustworthy. In contrast, how do we know we are not trustworthy, especially compared with God? How do we know we aren't? Well, Scripture tells us this also. And you know it to be true because you live with you. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. You still want to trust yourself. So God tells us plainly not to lean on our own understanding because our hearts are deceitful and sick. That's pretty straightforward. There's, there's no ambiguity here. But this passage in Jeremiah gets worse. Four verses before verse 9 comes this little nugget. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Mm, uh-oh. But then in verse 7, he contrasts that with trust placed rightly where it should be. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. So cursed is the one who trusts in human flesh. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Very clear. Now one reason I decided to highlight this issue of trust today is because I hear so many people say that they only trust in themselves. It, it, it's a constant refrain. You, you'll hear pithy advice such as, just trust your heart. Well, look at what God, look what God says in Jeremiah. That same heart is deceitful and sick. But we hear people see that. Just trust in your own heart. Go with what's in your heart. People say, I'm the only one who knows what's best for me. How many times have you heard this one? I just need to love myself more. And yet we know self-love, self-esteem, self-self-self is the epitome of taking our eyes off the Lord. We know it does not lead to life and peace, but only to deceptive feelings and ultimately to destruction. Trusting in our goodness is going through the wrong gate, which leads to the wrong road, which leads to the wrong destination. Jesus says in Mark 10, none is good except God alone. Who's who's, who's deceiving, us or Jesus? Who's telling a lie there? It's not Jesus, I'll tell you that. How about the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3, no one does good, not even one. And Isaiah the prophet says in Isaiah 64, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. So this is not to denigrate us. It's only to understand that, spiritually speaking, we best not to trust ourselves to know but we go to the source of wisdom, which is the Word of God. Now, God does bring us into all kinds of situations and and shows that we can trust Him in them. He's left us hundreds of examples in the Bible where insurmountable challenges or even uh, garden variety challenges are met and God comes through when it looked like it was impossible. But I want to just highlight two of them for us. 
One of them is David. David is well known for trusting in God when he runs at the giant Goliath and he slays him against all odds. But David shows his trust in God actually when things seem hopeless, when he is mocked, when he is despised by enemies and by those around him. In Psalm 22, David issues a a soul-wrenching lament. And he says, oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. I think we can relate with that. We can relate that here's a man who is called a, a man with God's own heart, and yet he is going through a period of time where he has challenges that seem impossible and insurmountable, and he is despairing, and he is asking God, where are you, essentially? But then David recalls, he says, wait, he recalls how God demonstrates his constant care and how God is in charge of all things. He comes back in that psalm and says, in you our fathers trusted. So he's reminding himself, in you our fathers trusted and you delivered them. God is faithful. God can be trusted. To you they cried and they were not put to shame. Kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Hmm. Has God changed? No. Is God sovereign? Yes. He still is. He is the same God that David cried out to, and David trusted, because David saw God for who he was, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's the same God. He is still on the throne If you're surrounded by enemies, if you don't know where to go, you can still trust him. And here's one other example. A man named Hezekiah, he became uh, king of the southern kingdom of Judah in 715 B.C. He's a godly man whose reign is sandwiched between two ungodly kings, Ahaz and Manasseh. And it comes at a time when the Israelites are rejecting the commandments of God. Their rampant idolatry is being practiced by God's chosen people. Amid this, Hezekiah takes the reins and he he restores the worship of the Lord in the land of Judah. But he is also faced with being surrounded by enemies. The powerful Assyrian army has surrounded them, threatening to destroy Jerusalem. They're mocking God. Rather than despair, Hezekiah prays. He prays to God. He knows where he can trust. And God miraculously routes the Assyrian army, just destroys them. 2 Kings 18, verses 5 and 7, talking about Hezekiah, says, He trusted in the Lord. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. So we read these examples. We know these examples. And yet so often our trust is dented by our circumstances. So I ask you, is there any circumstance in which God can't be trusted? Well, I would ask, have you been thrown into a pit of hungry lions? like Daniel was, I'm sorry, as David was, 
Have you been sold into slavery and targeted for murder by your own family as Joseph was? Have you ever been told to sacrifice your only child as Abraham was? Have you been told to fight a war against tens of thousands of soldiers with only a few hundred of your own as Gideon was? Have you been told to cross a wide, deep body of water on foot? No boat, no life vest, no floaties, no swim fins, as the Israelites were? Have you been told to travel on foot a long distance when pregnant with a child you did not conceive and bear the shame of, of society as Mary was? Have you been told to build a thing that does not exist to deal with a thing that has never happened before, as Noah was? Have you been told you'll conceive and have a baby when you're in your 90s, as Sarah was? God took care of every one of these situations exactly as he ordered. And since God does not change, he will take care of your circumstances exactly the way he deems best. And that is for your best. So now I want to look at various circumstances that are a little more common to us than building arcs for weather conditions that never had happened before. Uh, these are, are things that uh, we have, may have experienced, but they're fairly common to life. So we'll go through them, and then we'll see how God addresses them. How about this? It seems like God has forgotten you. David thought this, so he asked in that same psalm, My God, why have you forsaken me? And then he finds the answers, which we read earlier. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And again in Psalm 13, David laments that God has forgotten him. And David writes, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So in the moment when he felt forgotten, he then realizes God dealt with him. How? Bountifully. Not just minimally, bountifully. How about this? You just don't understand where and why God has you where you are right now. Why are you here? Why, why, why are you in this situation? Well, if that's the case, read the story of Joshua and the Israelites obeying God's strange strategy for them to conquer the city of Jericho. God commands them, to, we know the story, march around the city once every day for six days blowing, a, blowing trumpets, and then on the seventh day, they're to march around it seven times blowing trumpets. This is not your classic battle tactic in a time of war. I have yet to see this except here. But Joshua and the Israelites, they do something really important. One, they trust God. And two, they obey. And they do what he says. They follow his instructions. And he, God indeed knocks down the walls and gives them the city. You can't do that without trust. Or this one, you think you're the only one you can trust to do what's best for you. Ah, this one's hard to get over. I think we all wrestle with this one. 
Proverbs 28, 26 says, Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. How about this? Just making more money is going to be the key for me to get, get the happiness I need. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Hmm. How about we look around, we hear the news, we read the news, and we think the world is in bad shape. It's very hard to hope in anything. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. By God's power, you may overflow with hope when you put your trust in God. How about this? It's hard to believe this world will ever change or will end. Everything seems to just go on as it was. Well, John has a vision. We read it in Revelation 21.5. John has a vision of a new heavens and a new earth. And the current heavens and the current earth pass away. And Jesus says from the throne of God, I am making everything new. Write this down for these words are what? Trustworthy. Trustworthy and true. His words are trustworthy and true. How about you're losing patience because it seems like God just doesn't care. God must not care. Psalm 25. Oh, my God, in you I trust. Indeed, none who waits for you shall be put to shame. How about you see unbelievers prosper? The wicked seemingly get away with things, their evil schemes. Why do they get away with them? We've all, we've all wondered. Psalm 37 tells us, Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Trust in him, and he will act. Now, it may not be on our timing, it may not be the way we want him to act, but what do we know? It's for our good the way he determines it. And don't worry about what he's going to do. God is just, he is fair, he will deal with unbelievers as he sees fit. They're not getting away with, with anything. Just as a little aside, I want to look, going back again to David, what he writes in Psalm 9, verse 10. He says, those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The Lord our God, the creator of all that is seen and unseen, does not forsake you. That means abandon you or give up on you. He does not forsake those who trust in him, those who know him, not just believe that he is real. Even the demons believe he is real, but put their trust in his name. Who is trustworthy? Who is in charge? Who knows the end from the beginning? It's not us. It's God and God alone. To which I would say, would you 
say you trust yourself to make the right decision. Most of us would in most circumstances, but have you ever made a wrong decision? Ever, of course. None of us is 100% perfect, 100% of the time. Therefore, we cannot fully trust ourselves. But guess what, God is right. How often? 100% of the time. We aren't, so who should we trust? And then another aspect I want to highlight is what are we putting our eyes on? What are we putting our minds on, on an hourly, on a daily basis? The Bible is clear. We are not to put our minds on the things of earth. They're fleeting. We are to put our minds and look to the things of God, that is, the things that are eternal. Let me encourage you right now for those of you who are, who are just beset by big time trials going on. Um, this life, this earth, these things that seem so difficult and long lasting when it seems like there is no way out. As hard as it is, these things are temporary. They're so temporary in the span of eternity. And they aren't accidental. God is using them for your benefit and for his glory, as hard as that may seem to believe. And so we look at it, and when we're in the midst of it, it seems like it's taking forever. But look how quickly time passes. Um, especially when you have children, it's amazing how, time, how quickly time passes. How often you catch yourself saying, wasn't my son or daughter just in diapers or just in kindergarten? Weren't we just taking them to high school? Weren't they just learning? It's gone like that. And you guys will start to see that, the pace of life pick up soon. Um, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow, we know that. But on average, we'll get to about 75 or 80 years on historical average. Many of us in this room are maybe halfway there or more. Um, so our time is on earth is short. We know that. The struggles and difficulties come into our lives often because it's a fallen world, racked by sin, the effects of sin. In the book of Hebrews, it's actually a world that ultimately says we'll be shaken in the eternal judgment. We look in Hebrews 12. It says, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, the author writes. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made, that's creation, in order that the things that cannot be shaken remain, may remain. So he is saying that there is coming a time of judgment in which all things physical, the things that are made, will be removed and all things eternal will remain. In light of this, those who trust in Christ can trust their eternal future to a trustworthy Savior. Therefore, he writes to God's chosen people, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. how much he understands us. 
how intimate God is with us. He's not a distant, uninterested, impersonal God. He is so directly involved with his people that he even came to walk with us in the flesh. Why? So that he would taste death for us, it says in Hebrews 2.9. You see it on the monitor. Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. He didn't take on flesh to play golf with us, to dine lavishly on Cornish game hens, to go to movies and concerts. He came to taste death so that you and I wouldn't have to. This passage in Hebrews 2 goes on to say that everything exists for and everything exists by God. Present tense, now. That's not something, oh, the Hebrews book was written, blah, 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 B.C., A.D. No, this is now. All things exist for him and by him. And he loves you enough that he sent his only son to taste death for you and I. Jesus is holy, and he makes us holy in God's eyes when we do put our trust in him. Having been in flesh and blood, Jesus so identifies with us humans that he says we have this, the same source of this holiness and salvation. God the Father, we have the same source. This is, this is an incredible closeness. Don't miss this. In Hebrews 2.11, Jesus himself calls you and I brothers and sisters. And even with all of our faults and weaknesses, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his spiritual brothers and sisters. That should give us pause and just make us astounded. And then the author of Hebrews, in that passage, quotes Jesus And Jesus here is referencing Psalm 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. All of this so that he would destroy the power of death embodied in Satan and free us from the lifelong fear of death because of our sin. My brothers and sisters, we have no fear of death when our trust is fully in the one who has already defeated death. We will have tribulation now, but we know the end thereof, perfect life with our Savior. Imagine enduring all the tribulation now without, with no assurance or hope of heaven. What a depressing, fruitless, meaningless existence. But we don't have that. We don't have that at all. We have the one who is trustworthy. The one who has demonstrated his trustworthiness beyond a shadow of a doubt. He's the one who promises us redemption when we come to him. Because he bought our glory already. 
and he is keeping it in heaven for us. He says it is kept for us. What joy there is in that day. What joy there is now realizing what is to come. Because we know the gift that awaits. It's a gift. It's given by God to us. We know our Savior lives. We know what a great and grand God is who would lavish his love upon us. And then that we would be called his children, his brothers, his sisters. We read in Hebrews 4.16, given that fact, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust in you. I trust in you. If all you do each day is consider and embrace these four words, you'll be headed in the right direction. Remember them. Put them on your refrigerator if you have to. Make them the wallpaper on your mobile devices. But mainly, keep them at the front of your mind, at the front of your heart, and then apply them in all circumstances. And trust in the only one who truly knows what is best. As the worship team comes up, let's pray. Dear Father, would you enable us to put our faith, our trust, our love in you. Lord, you have us in this world for a certain amount of time. You give us these mortal bodies and you bless us inordinately with the peace that comes from loving and knowing you because you loved us first. Father, I pray that uh, in, the, in the hours and the days and the weeks ahead that that trust helps us to move forward in all circumstances. We're looking to you who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We have faith because you have given us that as a gift. We have assurance of eternal life because you've given that to us as a gift. Lord, you have proven your trustworthiness. All praise to you that you give us your matchless word that we can know you and we can apply our trust in you. I pray that we would be strengthened to do, to do likewise and share our trust and our faith with others. Father, you are so good. We thank you for this time when we ask for your blessing upon it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.